Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. Thank you so much for tuning in. We uh, are already up to 3,500. Looks like we got about 500 listens over this last week, which is really good. A lot of that's going towards uh, our big ones being Coldplay, which is at 1,200 total. Uh, Metallica has crossed 600. And then Pink Floyd is at about 525, which uh, for being a newer episode, that's pretty incredible. I've figured that there's a lot of people that just like search Pink Floyd in the the search tab on the podcast, wherever they're listening to. And that's what's coming up because Pink Floyd is just one of those bands you you're always curious about. You want to just know more because they're so mysterious and yeah. so deep. Um, and then we've got some other episodes that uh, have been performing really well as also, Nirvana is up to almost 150, which that one had a bit of a slower start, but it's really been picking up lately, I've noticed, which has been really cool to watch. Band of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Slipknot's in the two, about 230, which is doing really good. Um, but an episode that I'm finding has not been very popular is... Our Genesis, Phil Collins episode. Interesting. Which I'm not too surprised about because they just don't seem like a band that you would like search for or that is not like people are really curious to know more about Genesis. Even if it's Phil Collins? I feel like people are going to look more like Phil Collins' solo career. I guess you're right. But at the same time, like, I don't care. I'm going to still do what I want. But and there's the Beatles. And the Beatles. <laughs> still haven't even hit 60. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> um, Maybe we should just redo that one. I don't think so. I just, because I mean, it. I think it's better quality than, say, Coldplay or Metallica. Yeah, I guess it's true. And those are just for some reason, people are not listening to the Beatles. Like Steely Dan is doing better than the Beatles, mm. which surprises me. Um. And then we've got our newest episode at the time of this recording, which is The Police. Come on, somebody. And uh, that one's doing pretty good. In a couple of days, it's gotten over 30 listens, mm. which if, you know, if the it's following the daily average, it should do pretty well. I was asking you this earlier, but I'm wondering what our listeners think, and maybe they'll say something. But, you know, The Police is one of the first episodes where we kind of debuted our some of our better recording and better experience. I wonder if that has something to do with it. I don't know. I'd be curious to know. Um, I actually need to start checking the other sources that I'm my, that my podcast is on to see if pe- if people are leaving reviews or hmm. saying anything. Like I haven't even looked at Google, which is probably one of the main places that my podcast is I think play. so. I think when I've looked up on our I've looked up our podcast, Google Podcasts, I mean, understandably so. It's yeah. probably the first one that comes up. I just for some reason I always just think to look at Apple and I'm not looking at where else our podcast is. Which if you're curious where else our podcast is playing, we are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, but we're also on some other places I've never heard of before, but who knows, maybe some people are using this. We're on Breaker, we're on Overcast, we're on Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher, as well as Anchor, which is the platform that we make this podcast on. More on that later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 
we're we're moving up. We got 175 subscribers. We're at 3,500 listens overall. It's uh, I'm really really happy with how things are moving. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you've said this before, but it's already kind of surpassing what you were expecting it to oh, be. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got a I've got a sequel series that I am I've got kind of cooking in my brain right now. Something that I would like to debut at the beginning of next year. Mm. Kind of like start fresh on the calendar year in January and. Guys, this is hot news. Even I don't know about this. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say exactly what it is yet, just to kind of keep you guys a little bit in suspense, but it's something that I have a very strong passion for and I think is going to be a great um, companion to what we're doing with the main um, series. So when we get closer to the end of the year, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about what that's going to look like. But... If you look in the description of our episodes, we have a link there that takes you to our anchor page where you can donate to help support this podcast. And what those donations will help with is um, helping us get our own equipment. We're actually renting equipment right now, and we're renting a space that we're doing at. And um, it'll be very good for us if we actually have our own stuff to work with. And um, also it'll go towards um, a lot more research materials and give us more time to be able to, again, work on some of these um, extra series that we're going to start working on. So if you are feeling generous, just click on the link in the description. It'll take you there and it just signs you up for a very small monthly donation. We would really appreciate it. And with that... Let's go ahead and move on to the artist for this week. So last episode, uh, when we talked about the cars, I kind of left you guys in suspense on who we would be covering this week. But of course, when you saw the name of the episode, I'm sure that clued you into who we're listening to. And that is the almighty Van Halen. Man, talk about everything that you love about glam rock. Oh, equals yeah. Equals Van Halen. <laughs> yes. So Glamrock actually does precede Van Halen. Okay. There was a there was an early 70s is when Glamrock first came in, and that's when you had David Bowie mm. and T-Rex and Queen and the, the Glamrock that was less about hard rock. It was actually a bit more like theater, yeah. um, a bit psychedelic, and very um, – very much like you know the makeup and the and the incredible outfits, um, and then glam rock got killed by punk, of course, in the uh, in the mid to late seventies. Really, kind of killed a lot of areas of rock and roll in general. Um, a lot of the big bands of the late sixties, early seventies were not doing good by about seventy seven, seventy eight. Um, that's when the Who really started to taper off. Led Zeppelin. Aerosmith, you know, David Bowie had transitioned away from glam into a bit more of ambient music, which he was very ahead of his time when he did that. Uh, Queen was changing their sound at that time. It wasn't a good time to be a over-the-top flamboyant rock group because you had punk, you had disco, and you had new wave that was really taking control of where popular music was going at that time. 
And then all of a sudden, in 1978, you had uh, Van Halen jump onto the scene with their first album. And particularly, and we'll talk about this a little more when we talk about the first song on this list, but they completely changed not just rock and roll, but like popular music altogether. Mm. They really brought rock and roll back from kind of the brink. And how did they do that? Because of Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen just completely reworked how guitar was played. While not all of his techniques were new and he didn't invent them, he sure as well perfected them and brought them to a whole new level of skill. Before Eddie Van Halen, you had your great guitar players, no doubt. You had Jimi Hendrix, you had uh, Jimmy Page, you had Richie Blackmore, but they're not super technical and they're not super smooth. It's very bluesy the way that they right. play, and sometimes very intentionally sloppy, especially when you listen to Jimmy Page's playing in some instances. But Eddie Van Halen just brought this this wonder, this like blow your mind with sounds and techniques that you're just like in 1978 people literally were like didn't even know how he was doing most of what he was doing and he just completely innovated rock and roll and guitar playing i would say besides Jimi hendrix no one else has influenced guitar more than eddie van halen has so he really just brought a whole new life to rock and roll and, and gu- rock and roll guitar playing. Just like kind of gave it a, the, a shot in the arm that it needed. Now, was it really just about how fast he played? Not necessarily. It was also his tone. He had a tone that was completely new at that time as well. He just the sounds he was able to get out of his guitar. And a lot of it came from his fascination of like, taking his guitars apart and figuring out every single little thing that was going on in it and putting it back together. He would just, he would sit in his hotel room and just come always take his guitar apart, put it back together and experiment with different things. He would like put things in different places. He would alter the actual mechanics inside to like try and figure out new sounds. He was always experimenting on his free time. Like, People would talk about how he didn't go anywhere without a guitar attached to him hmm. because anytime he had a free moment, he was trying to figure something out either technique-wise, playing-wise, sound-wise, technology-wise. He just was constantly trying to figure out what the new space he could take the guitar to. And so, yes, the technique he brought that was completely new, the sound was new, and then just it was just the character and the attitude that he brought to it. Like there was just something about when you heard Eddie's guitar playing, you, you, it was almost like another voice that just was able to connect with you in a way that hadn't been done yet. And while Eddie Van Halen was definitely the biggest reason why Van Halen got big, he was not the only reason. So this episode, we're going to concentrate on a very specific time period of Van Halen because Van Halen has changed a lot over the years. And it's mainly due with um, what lead singer they had at the time. So this, this episode is going to concentrate on the first era, in my opinion, the best era, which is when David Lee Roth was their lead vocalist. 
Diamond Dave, as he called himself. Mm. And he is another one of the big reasons why Van Halen got so big. One of the most charismatic and um, just flamboyant frontmen of all time. Probably one of the most iconic American rock voices, I think. Not a super talented singer. Yeah. But he's he made up for it so much with his attitude. And he just he embodied sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. Like, you know, all four members of the band did, but David Lee Roth was like in a league of his own. He just he even when he sang, you could just sense the swagger that he had. Yeah. Speaking of the other members of the band, who are they? Because I'm sure we're missing the other Van Halen brother. Yes. Yeah, so we've got two Van Halens in the group. So we've got Eddie Van Halen on the guitar, and then we have Alex Van Halen, who is his older brother, on the drums. And the funny story was that growing up, they originally started off on opposite instruments. Mm. Uh, Alex started on the guitar, and Eddie started on the drums. And they just at some point switched. And Eddie kind of discovered that he was a much better guitar player and Alex just settled for the drums. And it was just kind of like one of those things like history was changed forever once they decided to switch instruments. And then you've got Michael Anthony on bass, one of the most underrated and undervalued members in any rock band perhaps of all time. For sure. Because there's been a lot of drama around the band's treatment of Michael Anthony. Um, the the guys in Van Halen are not known for being super nice guys. There's always a fight going on between some members of the band. Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth couldn't get along, and that's why he left the band. Then they did the same thing to their next lead singer. And then um, they tried to bring that second lead singer back. And they ended up getting in another fight and kicking him out, and they kicked out Michael Anthony with them. And it's really a shame because I've I've done a lot of reading on this. Michael Anthony, from what people say, is like probably the nicest man to ever be in a rock and roll band. <laughs> like just so undramatic. Like he never became a diva. He always like just was there whenever you needed him. And he wasn't a bad bass player, but he also wasn't very good. And so kind of the other members of the band kind of treated him as a lesser member because he wasn't as skilled as Alex or Eddie or didn't have the the star power that David Lee Roth had. And so they kind of would minimize his contributions. In, mm. f- in fact, uh, when the 1984 album came out, Originally, they were all four equal partners, and they all any money that came in, they split equally four ways. The 1984 album came out. They decided, well, Michael Anthony, he's not contributing any songs. He's not um, as good of a player as us. He's not speaking up with ideas. So we're not going to give him our his share of the royalties that come in. We're just going to pretty much treat him as like a hired player. And because Michael Anthony's such a nice guy, he was just like, um, okay, and kept playing with the band. Mm. And I was just like, good Lord, I feel for him. And not only, and here's the probably the, even the more important thing that he contributed than bass. All those background vocals that you hear, that amazing high-pitched, yeah, that's Michael Anthony. Wow. 
So, he's really the perfect complimentary player. Yes, for Van Halen. he he is exactly who they needed, even when they didn't recognize it as that. Like yeah. they they without Michael Anthony, without those amazing background harmonies, and being able to have a bassist that wasn't stealing the spotlight and was just playing simple, exactly what yeah. was needed. Like Van Halen, absolutely needed that to succeed. Yeah, he's the best support player. I'd say, again, he's probably the best supporting player in rock and roll history as far as just mm. knowing exactly what his place was in a band full of egos and yeah, superstar sure. attitudes. For him to just be down to earth and just go, okay, I'm just going to play exactly what I need to play and not complain about it. And pretty much what they would describe him is that he just was lucky to be <laughs> along for the ride because he... Was just he knew that he wasn't on the same level as the other band. He was just like, I'm just really happy that I just happened to be in this band. And he just enjoyed playing music and singing BGVs. <laughs> yeah, and now he's with um, their second lead singer, who's Sammy Hagar, mm-hmm. and he's got Sammy Hagar's got his own band. They became like best friends. Wow! And so now Sammy Hagar has him go with him wherever, and like plays has him be the basis for all his stuff. And at the beginning of this year, there was a big rumor saying that um, Van Halen was going to do a tour and they were going to bring back Michael Anthony. And that Sammy Hagar said that they even contacted him, or at least For the band's, the band's yeah. represent, the representation called him and said, hey, the guys in the band are interested if you would – are wanting to know if you'd be interested to doing a reunion tour with you back on bass. And from what we heard, Michael Anthony said no. Wow. Which, kind of good for him. But at the same time, that would be a really cool tour to see. To see the four, because David Lee Roth's back with them now. Eddie Van Halen's son is their current bass player. His name's Wolfgang Van Halen. Interesting. Which is like a really cool name. And he's a really good bass player. But he, I mean, at the same time, like, we miss Michael Anthony. Yeah. He's, again... Best complimentary piece to them. Yeah. So those are the four members of Van Halen that we're going to look at in this episode. When we do another episode of Van Halen, we'll talk about the next phase, which is the Sammy Hagar area or the the Van Hagar, as some fans call it. Mm. Very, very different band, like almost completely different. Like you would never, except for when you hear Eddie's guitar sound, you would never think that this was the same band. Interesting. So it's just, it's such a very dynamic shift from when David leaves and Sammy enters. Yeah. But this episode, we're going to just look mainly at this the David Lee Roth era, the, their rise to stardom. So before we get into the songs, is there anything else people really need to know about Van Halen? Van Halen is really the start of 80s hair metal, party rock. Like, obviously, they weren't, they didn't invent hard rock. That hard rock had been around before. They were the first ones to inject so much fun into it. Yeah. And to to put so much sleaze into it, like sleaze that it before then had only been matched by the Rolling Stones. And the Rolling Stones are not a super heavy band. Yeah. But they're, at the time, they were probably the sleaziest band out there, them and Led Zeppelin. But Van Halen just like completely took it to another level and just they made rock and roll really, really fun and not like so serious or or so subdued that it was like 
so poppy. Like they were almost heavy metal in a lot of spots. Yeah. Um, and they definitely had an immense impact on heavy metal going forward. Like yeah, for sure. every heavy metal guitar player bowed at the altar of Eddie Van Halen. They um, just like we wouldn't have a lot of metal guitar without what definitely, he did. Yeah. And so um, also just a brief kind of run through of what the David Lee Roth era looked like. So they had the first album. First album was really big right off the top. Um, what One of, if not the best debut album in rock and roll history. Like it's almost like a greatest hits. It's just classic song, Running With The Devil, Eruption, You Really Got Me, Ain't Talking About Love, Jamie's Crying. Uh, just it's, it is a hit filled album and then kind of from there they they almost started to go down a little bit even though they like started selling more tickets at their concerts and kept getting their shows big like their albums started to get less and less positively received hmm. although they made some really good music like the second album uh is is pretty good but you can tell from like the songs that were left over from when they made the first album uh, Women and Children First was the third one. That's my personal favorite Van Halen album, but it's a really dark album. It's almost a metal album, and it's a not very accessible record. They only had really one hit single from it, and that was And the Cradle Will Rock. Um, they did uh, Fair Warning after that, which is also a really dark album and really weird experimental album. There were no hit singles off of that one. Wow. And then they had Diver Down, which is almost fully a covers album one that they never meant to make but they re they released a cover just standalone single and the record label like it became a hit and the record label was just like you've got to make an album to go around this so we can get you back on tour and they were just like oh, we don't have much music to make <laughs> and so diver down is considered probably the worst of the van halen or the van or the david lee roth era mm. but then you have 1984 come out, and 1984 is their biggest selling album of any era. And that's where you've got Jump and Panama and Hot for Teacher and I'll Wait. Like, 1984 is when they finally, like, exceeded what that first album was and became the biggest band in the world at that time. What happened there? They were on so many drugs <laughs> and were they hated each other specifically Eddie and David could not stand each other at all like their I've I read uh, their memoir by their road manager at that time and it was just saying like even though the crowd saw them as top of the world they were like about to explode hmm. just because David Lee Roth wanted to take the band in a completely different direction and Eddie Van Halen so they were just like they were pulling in separate directions the whole time. On top of that, in, insane amount of cocaine. Of course. Insane amount of alcohol. Of course. And just like they were just completely fried in their brains at that point. And they were just exhausted from touring nonstop for the last seven years. And it was just like after that tour – David was just like, okay, fine, I'm out of here. I'm going to do my own thing. So 
it was just kind of like it was a shock to a lot of fans just going oh no this is the band at the height of their powers and all of a sudden their lead singer is gone yeah and most people view that as an irreplaceable loss almost as essential as eddie van halen was almost as they proved when they came back with sammy hagar and in some ways got even bigger but also at the same time probably the quality was not near as good yeah they kind of became more of a predictable pop group. But that's for another episode. So that's kind of the 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 rise and fall of the Roth era. But There you have it. Yeah. At least Van Halen for the first part. Yes. So when we come back, we'll talk about uh, some six defining songs of that era. And uh, we'll get back with you. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about Van Halen this episode. Specifically, we are looking at the David Lee Roth era. In my opinion, the defining era of the band. Definitely the era that made the band. So we're going to go ahead and start talking about the songs that we've picked. If this is your first episode tuning in with us, what this section is, is I like to pick usually six songs. Sometimes I'll make exceptions like we did with the Beatles. But normally I'll pick six songs to try and represent the band, like in this case for Justin, who has never listened to Van Halen before. What are the six songs that, in my opinion, are going to introduce you to the band and try and hook you, while also at the same time trying to provide an interesting experience from start to finish to where there is a, um, there's an emotional arc, and I try to have it to where the songs transition well between each other, so it's not necessarily me picking their six best songs. Um, I'm not picking my six favorite songs or what I think are their six best songs. Rather, what are the six songs that are going to fit the best together as well as give a great first impression? And so um, if you want to hear these songs, if you've never heard these songs before, check out the description uh, in the episode. The instructions are there to find... Uh, a Spotify playlist that has all of these songs, go ahead and give it a follow so that way you are up to date whenever we add new songs. And um, then you can listen to those songs for yourself. Even if you have heard these songs before, please still go ahead and check them out. You might get something new from it hearing them in the order that they are in. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the first song in this set. Which is, Justin? Eruption. Eruption. So, How about this for an intro yes. to Van Halen? <laughs> so, in my opinion, if you've never heard Van Halen before, the most important thing for me is to showcase how good Eddie Van Halen was. And for a lot of people, this was their introduction. On their Greatest Hits album, this is the song that starts that album. Mm. And it's the second song on their debut record. So right from the get-go, Eddie was 
showing himself as the new master of the guitar. But this was probably the last thing added to the album. It was actually, that song was not, he didn't even know it was, he was being recorded. This was just something he did as a warm-up <laughs> to like get his fingers ready. And um, their producer had heard him doing it a couple times. And so one time while he was doing it, he just let the tape roll. And I wonder how they snuck that in. Do you think they told him like, hey, we're going to put this on? Well, they, they told him afterward. Oh, okay, they were I'm just sure. like, hey, we just recorded that. We think that this would be a great addition. And he was just like, okay, cool. Like he didn't have a problem with it. Hmm. And then they added like the drums and the bass at the very beginning later. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's just that that solo changed rock and roll music forever. Like that part towards the end where he gets into the really fast tapping. Yeah. I remember the first time that I heard this song. And like I was probably, let me think, I was probably like 14 years old, didn't know too much about rock and roll. But at that time, Van Halen was starting to become one of the first rock and roll bands that I was attaching to. Um, Panama specifically was the song I was really getting into that time and their cover version of You Really Got Me. And so I was just like, oh yeah, their guitar player's good. And I had heard the name Eddie Van Halen a lot. And people, when I hear it, always referring to him as like a guitar god. But then I heard Eruption and... Like, literally, my mind erupted. Like, I was just, when the t when it got to the fast tapping solo, I was just like, hold on, is this still a guitar? <laughs> it sounds like Space Invaders or yeah. Galaga or something, like when your ship gets abducted. And I was just like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And from that point on, I was just like, okay, I'm going to listen to Van Halen. And Van Halen was, like, one of the first, like, hard rock bands that... I ever got, and probably the first hard rock band that I ever got into, and it was really kind of thanks to Eruption. And I was not alone with that. So what what stood out to you kind of with what you were hearing? I mean, obviously, just incredible guitar skill. And it's not like he's even, I mean, now that I know that he did this as a warm-up, I mean, it's incredible that, like, it's still tasteful, and everything links together, which is really nice. Like without, you know, I mean, I've seen other people warm up and they're just kind of like doing their thing and then they like stop then they switch over. And he's just like going. Like it all flows together really well and nothing feels like it's repetitive. I mean, it's just pure, just incredible guitar wizardry. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's literally the best word you could describe as wizardry just because it's like, especially at that time, Though people didn't know how he was doing what he was doing. Yeah. Because the way that he was getting that tapping is he has to use two hands. Yeah. So he's got several – so he's using both hands to tap all on the fretboard. And while he – again, he didn't invent it, but no one was doing it at that time. Yeah. Like it was a lot more obscure bands were starting to experiment with it. Yeah. And then to have this major – this band that was going to get major attention just come out and completely showcase and not only like provide a groundwork, but like do it in a way that almost hasn't even been matched. And I think we talked about this earlier, but it's easy to see how like just in that era of where music was, how all of a sudden this energy and this like 
the speed and just like the almost like the swagger that we talked about, mm-hmm. like immediately rock and roll is cool again. Yeah. And it's just, and it's so funny. Like we talked about how rock and roll has kind of gone through these different periods and how like, man, like this period of rock and roll is really what most people would, you know, associate with it, even though that's technically in reality, that's not really the case. And rock and roll has been around for a long time, but yeah, how, I mean, just this kind of style of playing really helped to define mm-hmm. rock and roll, especially in American history, I feel like. Oh, yeah. And especially like all 80s rock and roll owes some credit to that first Van Halen record. Definitely. And to Eruption. And so from there, I figured let's go ahead and jump into uh, just like a fun rocking song. So it's kind of like... Eruption is our introduction, our warm-up. It's kind of like, now we know what level of musicianship we're dealing with, let's get into a proper song. And for me, I felt like the best song to just jump into and to have our first introduction to their vocalist was Panama. What a great song. I think you and I talked about this earlier, but this is probably one of my favorite songs on this list, and then definitely, I think this is probably my favorite Van Halen song for sure. Yeah, i I think that this is probably like the great, the greatest Van Halen song. Even though it's not my personal favorite, but it definitely is up there. I think, objectively speaking, like this is their ultimate song. Yeah, like it has everything that you need for a Van Halen song, and everything that you would love. Just like just for this swagger, like, glam rock. I mean, you've got a catchy chorus hook, mm-hmm. head-banging melody, lots of energy, drive. Incredible solo. Incredible solo. Probably the best riff he ever came up with. Yeah. Good Lord, that riff is so good. And then you've got that, we've, um, a staple in a Van Halen song where you have the breakdown. Yes, I was going to say, I and love that. Yeah, and you've got David Lee Roth kind of doing his ad lib mm-hmm. talking that he does on a lot of their songs. Yes, it is very prevalent. Yeah, I love how that breakdown goes and then and then how it builds back into the chorus and kind of like and it's funny, you know, we talked about um we talked about Iron Maiden last week and Iron Maiden did that a lot as well, just like how they would break it down and then build it back up and then explode right back into the to the chorus melody. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the song's about? I don't know, actually. Is it like, it sounds like Spring Break. I mean, to me, this sounds like a Spring Break song. <laughs> yeah. It's actually about a car. Mm. And But, of course, the car is definitely a stand-in for a woman. Like, he's, sure. he's treating the car like he would a woman. Yeah. But, like, the whole, the whole down section when he's kind of talking seductively, <laughs> he's talking about the car. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you can tell that it's not really about a car, but it's kind of like the car is the double entendre for all the things he's talking about. But when you're talking about it literally, it's about a car. Which, I mean, again, makes sense considering the type of band that they were. Yeah. Sex, drugs, cars, rock and roll. And by the way, this is an L.A. band. Oh, so this is the set. This, this set this template for the L.A. party rock scene. Yeah. So this isn't a this isn't a Florida band or you know from other like this is this is Sunset Strip. Yeah. Like you know it explains why they got so big so quickly. Yeah, they were already in the heart. Mm-hmm. 
Just a great classic to me, great classic American rock and roll song. Yeah. I think just again, you if you're only going to show someone one Van Halen song and you need that song to tell that person everything they need to know about that band, I think Panama is the one that you pick. Agreed. And it's just gosh, it's just so fun. And it's there's no like there's aggression, but it's not like bad aggression. Like yeah. it's just it's more of just like let's have a good time. But at the same time, it's like it just rules. And even just like the edginess is not like forced. It just feels very transparent. Like they're not even like trying to be like this overtly gruff, like hard rock sounding. It's just like mm-hmm. it's almost kind of like I keep going back to this. It's almost kind of like that swagger that they just brought to rock and roll. Yeah. That just kind of like oozes just like that out. Mm-hmm. So there's. Van, I would say Van Halen has like three super big hits. And Panama would be one of those three. But the other two are actually not on this list. And originally I did have one of the other ones as the starter for the list instead of Eruption. But then I was just like, no, Eruption needs to be the starting point for this list. And then the other one is also off the 1984 album. And uh, it's a song called Jump. Mm-hmm. And... Jump just didn't feel like it fit on this list for me because I wanted to more establish what they brought to hard rock and Jump is much more of a pop song that would be very indicative of where they would go once Sammy Hagar joined the group. So we'll we'll talk about Jump on another episode. but And then the other one being Running With The Devil, which is the first song on that first album. But... You have to put that song at the beginning. It doesn't fit anywhere else in a set. And I wanted to have Eruption instead. But then we've got the th- the other the third member of that big three as far as their hits in the David Lee Roth era would have been Panama. And so at least I got that represented there. And that takes us to our third song, Ain't Talking About Love. One of my personal favorites. I'm going to say this. I actually don't know what my favorite Van Halen song is. Mm. It's really hard for me because there's different ones I like for very different reasons. Depending on the day or the mood, I could say that Panama's my favorite. I could say Ain't Talking About Love's my favorite. Ain't Talking About Love is definitely my favorite off that first album. There's just something about it, and I think it might be that riff. Yeah. That opening riff is so good. To me, this is like, again, one of the most classic American like rock and roll guitar lines. I mm-hmm. mean, just and honestly, it's it's a little metal. Yeah, it definitely is. Like when you think about it in the context of today's music, and just you know, looking in hindsight, there's a lot of metal elements even just about that line itself mm-hmm. and the tone and kind of just like because it's a little darker and it's definitely got some more edge to it than. Even just like with uh, with Panama, even an eruption, honestly, it's just like it's a little a little bit darker and a little bit more aggressive sounding. Yeah, and that that's definitely ref- reflected in the lyrics. It's kind of less about it's kind of about the darker side of partying because the song is pretty much just about like one night stands because it's about talking to this girl and you know, the girl wants to be in a relationship and he's just like, no, no, I ain't talking about love. Yeah. I just want you right now and then we'll never see each other again. I also really love uh, 
David Lee Roth's vocals on this song. Yes, his vocals are really, really good on this one. And I also think this song is a huge shout out to their bassist. Yes. I think like just the driving of the bass in here is so underrated. And when the BGVs come in, I mean, he just shines. Yeah. Like I almost forget about the lead singer because I just how perfectly the BGVs just sound with the Mm -hmm. song. Yeah. Then we've got another great breakdown. Yes. In this one. Yeah, with some interesting guitar effects with a phaser going like across it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fun. Just, yeah, just even, it's just crazy how fully formed they were by that first album. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got other bands that it takes them like two or three albums to finally kind of figure out what their sound is. Like, when Van Halen made that first album, they weren't even a band that long. They were maybe together wow. a, a year or two, which seems sounds like a long time, but compared to what other bands do and how long they yeah. play the clubs and toil in obscurity before yeah. they get that first um, record deal. And finding that musical maturity. Mm-hmm. Like, normally it takes bands a lot longer. And yeah. the fact that just they were – they knew exactly what they were and had already mastered it by that first album is just so incredible. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of just, not the style obviously, but just like their level of preparedness and and mastery over their craft. Like it kind of reminds me of the Cars. I mean like in the Cars Mm -hmm. first album, like we said last week, every song on there like just oozes class. Like you can tell like these guys know what they're doing. Like they're not just like, they haven't just been trying to figure something out like they've known for a long time like this is what we're gonna do and people are gonna freaking love it mm-hmm. and it's the same here with Van Halen both albums came out in 78 which is crazy That's and so both crazy. of them like started pretty much like brand new genres of music yeah and yeah I I really wanted to give Ain't Talking About Love a spotlight on here because some of the other songs on the first album are obviously great but they kind of they they get all of the spotlight and ain't talking about love is a hit like it definitely it's something you would find on their greatest hits but at the time it kind of was overshadowed a lot i mean obviously running with the devil was huge mm-hmm. jamie's crying was huge um their cover of you really got me was huge those were kind of like the three big songs that propelled that album and then ain't talking about love was kind of like like the other one that kind of toiled in its shadow but in my opinion, it's the best song on that album. Yeah, I think it's the most musically interesting, mm-hmm. definitely, on the album. Just because uh, it just feels like there's so much depth musically to to this song. Yeah. And then we uh, we make a, a pretty awesome turn here <laughs> to our next song. And uh, we start off with one of the greatest drum intros of all time. And me just saying that, if you know Van Halen, you know exactly what song I'm talking about. That song is Hot for Teacher. Hot for Teacher. One of the most ridiculous songs (laughs) and one of the most ridiculous music videos ever made. But, man, just talk about putting on a clinic. People have been trying to to dissect and figure out this drum intro ever since it came out. There's a lot of arguments going on saying that it's double-tracked, like he's – like it's not all being done live in one take. Other yeah. people say that it is. Some people are saying that he's doing it on the double bass. Other people say he's yep. doing it on a floor tom. Yeah, that was a big question mark that I wrote down. It's like, is this a double bass? Is this floor tom? There's kind of not an agreement. 
And the thing is, we don't know because when he plays it live, he goes straight to the part where it's on the cymbals. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's that's really hard to play. I wouldn't want to play it live. Although, I actually, with my band that I'm with right now, I'm trying to figure out how to play that song so we could put it in our set. But it's, man, it's requiring me to work hard. Hmm. But just iconic, absolutely iconic intro. Yeah. One of the greatest intros to a rock and roll song ever. And then when Eddie Van Halen comes in with that tapping solo at the beginning, yeah. you hear and you're just like, what am I listening to? Like, is this... Is this like a heavy metal band? Is this still Van Halen? Like they were showing even still far into their career that they were like better than everyone else. I think I told you this earlier. This is actually not my favorite song on this list. Outside of the intro, which of course is the most interesting part to me, that, the intro, the guitar line. And then after that, I don't know why. I just, I kind of get bored. Like to me, just the one with... You know, them just talking, like, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I'm just like, it's not very interesting to me. Like, oh, see, and I feel it, like it gets so repetitive. See, for me, it's so interesting just because it's just you've got all this stuff going on. And in my opinion, of all the songs on this list, I think that this is the maybe the best, I would say in contention with the song we're going to talk to next, of the best Michael Anthony background vocals. Mm. His background vocals are so good on this song. Like when they're talking about, I think of all the education, but then my homework was never quite like this. When he punctuates that line, it's so good. And then you have the the guitar solo in the middle. Good Lord. That solo is also iconic because it does something that Eddie was known for doing a lot, which is playing his solos out of time. Like, normally you've got, like, 4-4 four, four beat, which is what most of the song is. 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4. In this case, actually be double times. 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2. But he actually goes into 5-4 in the middle of it. And not because he intended to, but just because that's what he felt. And it pissed the other band members <laughs> off because they were just like, now we got to figure out how to, like, change what we're doing to fit this weird time signature that you fit in. While we're doing this on tape. Yeah, and playing this incredibly complicated groove where he's he's literally playing a shuffle with his feet. That's like the whole song is he's going while also doing like all these fills and these off hits and he's just keeping this shuffle beat going on in his feet, which is like one of the most mind-blowing feats of drumming I've ever seen. I'll, I'll take this opportunity to talk a little bit about Alex Van Halen's drumming. Because while he's typically not considered among the greatest in the world, like this song alone kind of like cements him as one of the great rock drummers. And he was very unique sounding drummer. Like he always puts his hits in really weird spots. He's got a very identifiable drum sound, just the way his drums are mixed and the way he hits them. Like I can hear a, a Alex Van Halen drum groove by itself not know what song it's from and be able to tell it's him just from the way he's playing it and the way it sounds. And he was a he was definitely one of my early favorite drummers whenever I was just starting to learn how to play drums. Like I listened to that 1984 album so much just dissecting a lot of what the drums were doing because it was just so fascinating to me. And um obviously he when you when your brother is Eddie Van Halen, you're going to be overshadowed in some way. 
Um, but he's definitely earned to be up in the elite group, even if like everything he every track he did, he was mediocre and then he just did hot for teacher. Like that song alone made him like legendary status because people are kind of still trying to figure it out today. Um, I just, I love this song. This is another one of the contenders for maybe my favorite Van Halen song. Depending on your mood of the day. Depending on my mood. Like this is the song, like if I want to just like take in the insane musicianship and also just laugh because this is like the funniest lyrics in any Van Halen song. Like hearing all of the all of the teacher puns is just like it's hilarious. <laughs> and then the, the the whole trash can at the ending, what Eddie's playing on the guitar. Like I can see like if maybe you're not as much focused on like on playing that this song is not as interesting for me when I listen to the song it's like I'm zeroing in on the parts themselves and I'm like examining just like how good they're playing each part I'm listening to the guitars I'm listening to the drums even the bass is like really overhauling on this song more so than what Michael Anthony normally did so I just love this song Hmm. I just think it's a it's an incredibly masterfully played song, like to where your normal rock group could not just go on stage and play this song. You've got to be like incredible at your craft just to even play this song mediocre. So that takes us to our fifth song, I'm the One. So this was the hardest song for me to figure out which one to do. And this is like the, this is the deep cut on this list. Uh, it's awful. Also, off that first album, I went through a lot of different songs originally in this fifth spot because I wanted to keep up the intensity and the aggression of "Hot for Teacher," but also kind of, you know, start to guide us towards where would we would be on the final song. I considered maybe putting something like "Romeo Delight" from "Women and Children" first, or putting um, "Unchained" from the "Fair Warning" record. Maybe even Beautiful Girls from Van Halen 2. And then I was actually listening through the first Van Halen album just on my own. Not having any design of trying to figure out what that song was. And I was listening to I Am The One. And all of a sudden it clicked in my mind. I was just like, this is the fifth song. This is what I need. And so that's when I came to that decision to put that one there. You can really see the influence on metal music in this song. Mm-hmm. This the only is, difference I feel like is just like, even though it has the speed that you would normally associate with metal mm-hmm. music, it still kind of has that melodic style of just rock and roll. Yeah. This is probably the most shred-tastic song yes. that Van Halen maybe ever made. Even as as incredible as the guitar work is on Hot for Teacher, like... What he does on I'm the One, and again, this is on the first album. He didn't he didn't develop into this over time. Like, first album came and he was already destroying the guitar. Like, some of the solos he plays on this song are just like, what the heck? How is yeah. he doing this? And we've we've got again another shuffle beat on the double kick where so I wanted to kind of – I felt like that would be cool to keep that consistency mm. moving. But again, just showing Alex Van Halen, great drummer. 
The vocals on this song are what really sell this, though. I agree. I think the vocals are what makes this song. Besides, I mean, obviously, Van Hale, Eddie Van Halen is just doing his thing, but I think both the the lead and even just honestly the gang vocals in in this song is what kind of takes this song over the top. Yeah. And then you got that doo-wop section, yeah. which I think is like the best part of the song. I agree. I think it's the most interesting thing. Especially when you're listening to the first time and it goes there and you're like, wait, what What just happened? I know. I feel like I was listening to it and I was just like, oh, wait, is this a queen mashup or what is happening here? It's kind of like going, it's kind of like going back to like 50s style, like, you know, yeah. which David Lee Roth, that's that's comes from him because he interesting he loved that stuff he loved 50s and 60s music and a lot of the stuff in that era when they would kind of go towards that arena he was the one that loved all those doing all those old cover songs Mm. he was the one that would suggest like covering Roy Orbison and the Shirelles and the Kinks and he kind of like he's kind of the one that would bring that element to the band just because that's what he liked and now the ending of the song is like a classic rock style ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like when I think of just glam rock like this, like this is the ending to every rock song. Yeah, but just man, just they tear up. They tear up on that ending. And then that kind of takes us to our final song, which kind of takes us in turn a little bit. Yeah, it does. I was not expecting this with Everybody Wants Them, yes. which is our last song on mm-hmm. here. And I wasn't expecting how this song feels like a narrative and just how it takes you on this musical journey as well. Mm-hmm. Which is what I wanted for our last song. I wanted something that would that would be really grand and almost epic sounding. Um, this is off the Women and Children First album, which is my favorite of theirs. It's a really dark album. It's a really experimental album. Yeah. It's a very heavy metal album. I think that comes across even in this song as well. This is one of the most accessible songs on the album, if that tells you something. Yeah. This was one of those songs that wasn't a huge hit when the album came out, but it's like grown as a hit. Like now it's considered one of their biggest and best songs by a lot of people. This is like when they finally cross the line of having that aggression to where it's not like the party, although there is some of that party aggression but there's also kind of that darker edge to it yeah i agree this song was not something that i was expecting based off of one how we ended previously with i'm the one mm-hmm. i was kind of expecting like again something just to like explode forward and it was so this was a nice and interesting change especially to end i think this, this yeah. set list mm-hmm. um and we also don't have a shred-tastic solo on this song. Correct. But it's still one of my favorite Van Halen solos. It's perfect for that part of the song where he's just just riding on those chords and playing a very melodic solo, but at the same time very aggressive and a very driving solo. He There are songs where he does it almost like kind of like Ain't Talking About Love, where yeah. it's not a really in-your-face solo, but rather it's like exactly what the song needs kind of solo. Yeah. And then we have probably like the best like breakdown as far as like like David Lee Roth just like saying random crap while they're playing. Classic. 
It's just like you've got, you know, he's literally like just talking to a lady that's like trying on clothes and he's just kind of like, yeah, I, I like I like that. No, no, don't take it off. Leave it on. It's a little, yeah, it's a little more to the left. It's just like, I wonder if he was just like in this drug filled state. Oh, absolutely. He was because he's the he was the main lyricist. Mm. So he he wrote all the lyrics. Interesting. Eddie would write the songs and the riffs. And whenever the music was done and David would hear it, he would go back and write the lyrics and kind of try and fit the lyrics to what the music sounded like. Interesting. That's why they would clash so much is yeah. because. He'd be like, you gave me this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or he or he would come back and Eddie would be like, you wrote this? Yeah. And so, you know, Eddie always wanted to be taken as a serious musician while David Lee Roth just wanted to be a a big time pop star with the spotlight on him yeah. at all times. Recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Two very strong ego driven people. Well, there you have it. Yeah. Van Halen. Van Halen, the David Lee Roth era. Mm. We still got another era to look for at some point. I think point. personally for me, probably one of the most iconic, just American rock and roll. Absolutely. Period of time in music. I would say, they're up there in the top 10 as far as influential rock groups. We'll get more into that after this. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, we'll take a break here. But when we come back, we're going to talk about our bonus song and then we'll give our final thoughts. So stay tuned. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about Van Halen, the David Lee Roth era. We just finished talking about the songs. So to recap, those songs were Eruption, Panama, Ain't Talking About Love, Hot for Teacher, I'm the One, and Everybody Wants Some. So now we're going to get into our bonus song. And what is the bonus song? The bonus song is Rock Candy by Montrose. So normally when we do a bonus song, you typically like to have either some sort of connection to the band that we talked about, or it's like a one-hit wonder in a similar genre, or any other fun and interesting tidbit that's somewhat associated to what we're talking about. What is the connection? There's actually two connections on this one. So Montrose um, was the, the headliner to Van Halen's first tour. Oh. So it was actually they were double headliner. It was them and Journey. And this was right at the time that Steve Perry, Journey's lead vocalist, joined the band. And so Journey was like up on the rise. Sure. Montrose was on its way down, but they were still big enough to be a headliner. And then Van Halen was the opening act right when that first album came out. And Van Halen like destroyed both of them every night. And like pretty much like the crowds would come mostly to see Van Halen. But also Montrose's lead singer is Sammy Hagar. Who would later be the lead singer for the band, although he was not the lead singer at the time that Van Halen was their opening act. But he is the lead singer on the song 
that we are talking about. I was going to say, his voice sounded really familiar to me, and now... So that's probably why that, yeah. it's familiar. Yeah, this song is... Uh, it does sound very familiar to me, but you were just telling me that this song is actually not a hit, which is really strange to me. Because Montrose was never a really big band. They're more of a really influential band. Like, a lot of bands that would come through the late 70s and 80s always cited Montrose as a very big influence on them. But they weren't one of those bands that, like, got big on radio. Mm. Um, Like, Sammy Hagar didn't get big until he went solo, which is what he did before he did Van Halen. So he did Montrose, then he went solo, had that very big song with I Can't Drive 55. Oh, okay. Yep. And then joined Van Halen after that and got even bigger. So it's kind of like Montrose, solo, then Van Halen. It's kind of funny. This song, it kind of just reminds me of like just this band jamming out in a basement or garage. Like it almost kind of has like, I don't want to say a punk rock feel, but because it doesn't, but it's just like. And this was pre-punk. Yeah. It just feels like just this classic middle age men playing in a band who are just like, all right, we're in our basement. We're just going to rock out. Yeah. <laughs> this is the song that they would play. Uh-huh. So the name Montrose comes from the guitar player Ronnie Montrose. Gotcha. And so it's his band. And um, to me, this song is just like, it really kind of was a, ahead of its time a little bit. Yeah. Kind of really pointed to where Van Halen would really absolutely start to... Um, would kind of popularize and a lot of bands afterwards really took a lot from Montrose's style. That whole f- uh, album that this song is on is really good. Um, but th- I remember the first time I listened to that album, this was the song that stuck out to me that I was just like, whoa, this song is really good. And that you've got that drum beat that starts it out. And when that guitar riff comes in. Yeah, it's a great line. And then when... Sammy starts singing. You're just like, good God, he is good. He is a great singer. And just such a great guitar solo here in the breakdown, which ultimately kind of carries really the last third of the whole song, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Ronnie Montrose was an incredible player. And I I really thought it'd be cool to to illustrate this song because they have another song that's like more iconic of theirs called Bad Motor Scooter. Mm. That kind of like when a lot of people think of Montrose, that's like the song that they'll pick up. But I wanted to do Rock Candy because I think that that's a better song. And it's just like it's it's a bit more of a change of pace from the Van Halen songs that we've heard where it's a bit more like a, a halftime. Yeah. Always love a good halftime song. Yeah. And the lyrics are just like so awesome. That chorus. Yeah. I mean, especially when they get to the end and he's just like going crazy singing that line. That's just like, that's like just pure rock and roll right there. Yeah. Like there's no bells and whistles on it. It's just guys that know how to play rock and roll really well and they're just stomping through the song. So, yeah, that's our bonus song. So, as someone that has never listened to Van Halen before, what are your takeaway thoughts? So, Van Halen represents one of my personal favorite periods of time in music so really the two main periods of time in music that i really love are synth pop glam rock dab just kidding (laughs) not the dab but 
He actually dabbed. I did dab. Those two those two periods of music are probably the most to me, the most influential probably in my my personal life. But then also I think just overall in music in general, I feel like they're just so so influential just in how they shaped culture. Um, even just modern day music, but I think mostly culture, especially just the the whole era of rock and roll. I mean, this Van Halen and just the period of time that they represented is, I think, just a huge mark on on history. And I think that's why I, I appreciate it so much. I appreciate listening to Van Halen so much. Um, and of course, they you know influenced a lot of other bands that I love, like Motley Crue, of course. Um, and so it was really fun getting to, I mean, they just, you know, we said it like rock and roll was dead and what they brought to the table, just so much swagger and energy. And just, I think you said it, just this level of fun that rock and roll had been missing. Like um, you referenced a lot of other bands, even like Queen, like they were, they had some rock and roll elements, but it wasn't like, like this. It was a lot more theatrical um, a lot more moodier in some ways. And then all of a sudden Van Halen came and just like blew the roof off of what they were just like, Hey, this is what rock is supposed to be about. And they really kind of paved the way for so many other bands mm-hmm. um, to bring that brought back like rock and roll back into its heyday, even maybe even more so than it ever was, honestly. And, and um, great lyrics, of course, the, musicianship i mean from eddie van halen is incredible and of course underrated bass playing great drum playing um but just i think just the level of swag and just the fun i think is really what kind of defines my love for for van halen um they're just it's just so much fun to listen to and it's never boring and like you know what to expect like you know what they're gonna sing about and still you're just like fist bumping like headbanging everything and you just it's it's kind of hard to beat so yeah i forgot that you really like the glam rock metal stuff and so i was initially surprised by how much you liked it but i'm really glad that you did um and then i remember I was just like oh yeah you like motley Crue and stuff like that because mm-hmm. i i forgot about that and so i'm really glad that you enjoyed listening to van halen so um yeah i've van halen's one of the first bands that i ever connected with so I've been listening to them for quite a while, and um, I love Van Halen. I even love the the Van Hagar era, but the David Lee Roth era is yeah. the best that they put out. I agree. His voice is so iconic for, and I think they really in this in this era of their lifetime, I really felt like they they really helped define just. American rock and roll for yeah. this period of time. And, they absolutely did. And even just like, I mean, every, in every level of musicianship and just like in what they did, we, you know, we talked a little bit about even just like the music video that they made with uh, Hot for Teacher. Mm-hmm. Like even that just really <laughs> glamorizing just, you know, just the lifestyle of rock and roll people. Yeah. And man, like this is what like when you say that, like this is what people associate with with rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And in any history book you you'll read, you'll probably Van Halen is probably going to be a big factor of that. Oh yeah. And I think you know you even mentioned just like Eddie Van Halen's guitar tone. I mean, even that was iconic in itself. Like, I I just realized when we were 
when we were talking about that, I was thinking about what we talked about with Iron Maiden last week. Like that's the tone that, like especially in that first song of Iron Maiden that we talked about, Ace is High. Uh huh. Like that's the tone. Like there's just this. He just brought this sparkle to guitar tone that was never like obtained before. And it's kind of cool to see how like that transitioned into metal, like how metal has transitioned from from that, mm-hmm. like how it's gotten so much more aggressive and darker, but it still kind of has that really sparkly guitar tone, which I yeah. really love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. So um, we'll we'll come back to Van Halen. We'll even look a little more in the David Lee Roth era at some point as well. Yeah, so that's it for this episode. Um, please make sure that if you're listening, that if you haven't already, please subscribe. Uh, in the description is instructions to find the Spotify playlist with all of these songs on them, as well as a link if you want to donate to help support this podcast. And uh, next week... We are going to be looking at uh, one of the greatest heavy metal bands of all time that is on its way to calling it quits, which is a really, really sad occasion. But we're going to be talking about the incredible legacy that they're leaving behind. So please make sure that you tune back in for that. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Everyone around the world that's listening, continue to share Continue to tune in, hit the subscribe buttons. That way you can get that new episode every Monday morning, 9 central. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. Keep on listening to good music.